Okay, good morning. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Chaf Aleph in Maseches Tainis. We have a special guest star, Nachi. Uh, made the surgery go smoothly. No problems, Bezat Hashem. Okay, eight lines up from the bottom, Chaf Bez. So we told stories. This whole parak has a lot of stories. We were saying about Rav Huna brought Rav Adabar Ava into uh, the, his house that was dilapidated. He used him, so to speak, because he knew that in his schus, the house would not collapse. Rav Adabar Ava did not like that once he realized what was going on. He said, why are you using up my schus for this? But Rav Huna himself was no slouch. For example, this is one of the things that he would do. Eight lines up from the bottom. Every Erev Shabbos, Rav Huna would send a shaliach to the market. Right? <clears throat> what happened? The ginai is from the word gun. They were farmers, right? Farmer's market. Oh, we were in a farmer's market in Kauai. You really should have been there, Barry. It's, I'll show you pictures. It's just like with the mountains and everything. They're bringing the fresh produce, these fruit that you never saw. It's like paradise over there, Andrew. All right. Anyways, so they're coming to the market. And they're selling all their wares. Now, this is Erev Shabbos. And they have leftovers, right? Because at a certain point, everybody has to go home. What would he do? He would buy out all of the remaining produce and throw it in the river. Now, why would you buy something in order to throw it in the river? Well, he did so, so in order to encourage them to bring. If they thought, right, that there was only going to be a limited amount that people would buy, they would limit the amount that they would bring to the shuk. And they did not want that to happen. Ravuna didn't want that to happen. He wanted them to bring as plentiful an amount as they could so that there would never be a situation where somebody goes to buy something fresh and nice for Shabbos and there would not be any, right? So the question is, if why did he just buy it and bring it home? He could do that. Why would he buy it and then throw it in the river? So asks the Gemara, the Gemara's going to go through this. Right, because we're Jews, so we're curious about everything. Says the Gemara, "Veleis vilanim." Why don't you just buy it and give it to the poor? Says the Gemara, "Zimnin desamcha daitayu v'laosulamizban." Right, there will be times when they're going to rely on the gifts. In other words, if the aniim know that it's going to happen, that they're going to be able to get it for free from Ravuna, then they're going to rely on it. And what if it sells out? And then they're going to be out of luck. I was learning this with. Yitz Topper, and we were in the basement on Greenspring, and a guy said, yeah, he knows a guy who ran the yeshiva, and he got all of his challahs for Shabbos, for the yeshiva, from the surplus of the bakery next door. But one, one week, sure enough, there was no surplus. There's no challah for yeshiva that week, right? You can't rely on it. And therefore, that's why he didn't give it to the Aniim, okay? How about he gives it to his animals? You're not supposed to give, it's disrespectful to the human beings to give human food to animals. You're not supposed to feed your dog filet mignon. Okay. So So what about if he didn't buy it at all, since he wasn't planning on using it anyway, says the Gemara. Well, that was the whole point. He bought it in order to, right, in order to encourage people to bring the vegetables. So the only uh, recourse he had was to buy it and throw it in the river. Fine. Now, another story. There was a medicine that he had. There was a, he had the, um, he had the uh, un, un, unicorn variant vaccine. 
Okay, so when he had it, right, he would fill a jug of water when he, with the vaccine. It was unavailable to anybody else. And he would make it available to everyone. He hung it from the door frame of his house. Anybody who wants, let him take. Some say, He knew that, that the way it worked was he, he was like a uh, person who was able to hand out medicines because he understood the ways of the shade whose name was Shifta. He understand that the shade Shifta would attack people who, with unclean hands. He knew that hand washing and sanitation in PRL was the key to not getting this disease. So even during pandemic where it was hard to get toilet paper in PRL, he had a giant jug of PRL in the front of his house. In this case, it's water. The Amar called it Srich Lesevileovaloli Stakin. Whoever needs to disinfect their hands should come and take it and not put himself in danger. Fine. Because he understood, again, that the shade was attacking people who didn't wash their hands, so he put water available for everyone. Okay, another example that made Ravuna great, Kiavakrach Rifta, when he would sit to eat bread, have a pasach he would open his door, Amar called Tsarch right? Like Halachmania. He says, Whoever wants, take and eat. Rava thought that he himself could accomplish all these things. He says, I could see myself buying all the vegetables. I could see myself hanging up the water by the doorframe. But inviting everybody to my house, that I could never do. Why? Because as we arrive at Chafal Fahmedalef, depends where you live. Rava lived in Mechoza. Mechoza was filled with soldiers. And soldiers, they could eat you out of house and home. Like if you really kept your house open and anybody who wanted to eat could come and eat, they would just be nothing for anyone else, right? It would be an endless, right, bottomless pits these soldiers are. And so therefore that is just impractical. So you have to know when it's practical. There's a story of, you know, we tell stories here of Machlis. So Rebbe said Machlis, Aleya Shalom, right? I mean, the Machlises had uh, hobos living in their house and their car and the living room. I mean, they were, house is always open. It's like an industry, right? 50 people for Shabbos, every meal. Um, and so there's a story. I think chicken soup for the something that they wrote about Rebetzin Machlis after she passed. Anyway, so people have the book and it's very inspiring, but you can't all of a sudden think that you're going to become Rebetzin Machlis and you're not going to go out of your mind, right? Everybody has to understand what's practical within their boundaries. But certainly it's inspiring to see the uh, selfless, you know, dedication that these gedolim had. Okay, more stories. So, so famous, again, uh, going back to collapsing walls. Ilfa, oh, this is an amazing story, actually, Nachi. This is an amazing story to bring back to yeshiva. There were two men, incredible Tamir Chachamim. One of them you may have, you have certainly heard of, because we've probably mentioned him over a thousand times for sure throughout Shas, uh, the big gadol in Eretz Yisrael, and the other one you may not have heard of. The one that you've heard of is Rabbi Yochanan, the great Gadol of Eretz Yisrael. The other one is Ilfa. So Ilfa, Max, good morning. Ilfa, this is a great story for you, Max. Ilfa, Rabbi Yochanan, have ugar Ilfa and Rabbi Yochanan were learning Torah together. And they were actually both in financial uh, strain. They didn't have money. They said, let's go do some business. And they said in a cute way. They said, we're going to... Um, fulfill Ephes Kilo Yebecha Evion, right? That there will no longer, there's a Pasuk that says that, right, in, in, it's a Pasuk that promises that there shouldn't be, right, it's a blessing, 
uh, in the Torah, that there shouldn't be, right, poor people among you. So it's a cute way of saying it, right? If we go and we do business, we'll be Mekayim that bracha. It just means let's go and make a parnasa. Okay. So they, get, they go out and they sit down alongside a dilapidated wall. And And while they're eating bread, they hear, well, they don't both hear them, but two angels come by and they're talking, right? So they're eating and they're taking their lunch break by one of these dilapidated walls and two angels come by. We had seen earlier, by the way, this idea of the two angels. We saw um, that, I believe it was Tosfos who says, everybody has two uh, ministering angels around them. Be that as it may, they're out there. And, the, and Rabbi Yochanan hears the Malachi Asharis talking. Rabbi Yochanan hears that the Malachim says one to the other. He said, you know what? We have these two Tamachachamim under the wall that's about to collapse. Maybe we should collapse the wall and kill them, yeah? Why should we collapse the wall and kill them? After all, they're taking a lunch break. What, what makes them entitled to stop learning for a second, take a lunch break? So one angel says to the other, well... I think we should leave them alone. Why? Because one of them is about to achieve greatness. In other words, the fact that they took a lunch break maybe does entitle them to be killed by this wall, but for the fact that one of them is going to be great and maybe it's not their time. Right. Well, that, that actually becomes, Barry points out, the lunch break in its own right is something you could do that yeshivas have lunch breaks. It's the fact that they were on their way to going to business. Like the Goranowitz Musser moment in this is, what's your intention, right? Is your intention uh, the business or, right, the lunch break if it's to give you the strength to learn, so then that'd be one thing. If it's the lunch break because you're on your way to do the business, as Barry points out, um, so then that, is the, that was the reason why um, they, the uh, angels entitled the angels to have this conversation. So thanks for pointing out, Barry. This actually is borne out by the rest of the story, that you see that it's the fact that they were going to go into business that becomes the, uh, the issue. Um, who, was, who was the Mefari um, issue who explained that? Right, because it says, had he... All right, so where, where did you see it, Barry? In number six, he quotes Rashi. Oh, so in Rashi, good. Okay. All right, where Rashi explained this over here? Kaimele Shaita Shmamina. Right. Okay. So, be that as it may, they were, right, the Chayashar was Olam Hazet, Right? Olam Haba is Taira, and Olam Hazet is Schaira, says the Rashi in the uh, first lines over there. Okay. So now, so what happened? They decide that maybe because Rabbi Yochanan is going to be a great man, or because one of them is going to be a great man, they're not going to kill them after all. Who heard the conversation between the angels? Only one of them. Rabbi Yochanan Shama. And Ilfa lo shama. Rabbi heard the conversation. Ilfa did not. So I'm like, Rabbi Yochanan Ilfa, shama mar midi. Rabbi asks Ilfa, hey, did you hear that? I'm lo. Ilfa did not hear the conversation. So Amar, so Rabbi then tem- said to himself, midishami anav ilfa lo shama, shmamina ladidi kaimali shaita. Well, the fact that I was the only one that heard this conversation amongst the angels is an indication maybe I'm the one that's supposed to rise to greatness. Amar lo Rabbi Yochanan, 
right? And Rabbi Yochanan said, let's go back to the base Madrish, right? So this is where the story bears out. It seems it wasn't the lunch break itself. It was where they were planning on heading afterwards that was making the difference. And this conversation encouraged Rabbi Yochanan to not go on into business, but stay in the base Madrish. This is an interesting, uh, this is where you get the idea that he says, I'm going to fulfill. Well, how are you going to fulfill that? It means that the poor will never cease from the midst of the earth, which means that uh, it's, uh, again, this is like tongue in cheek, right? The Pusik says that we're going to eradicate poor from the earth. That's what they quoted when they said they were going to go out to business. And then the other Pusik says that there will always be some poor in the earth. And that's what they said when he said, well, you know what? You got to have some poor people, so let, may as well go back to the base Medrash, okay? So Ilfa, however, wasn't so excited about fulfilling this idea of being poor in the earth. And therefore, this is where they parted ways. Yochanan Hadar, Ilfa Lo Hadar. Yochanan returned to the base Medrash. Ilfa did not return to the base Medrash. He went on to business. Ah, de also Ilfa. By the time Ilfa came back from his business trip, Malik Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan had already become crowned the Rosh Yeshiva. Armulo. Yasiv Mar Vigaris Loava Malik Mar. Wow. Upon Ilfa's return, they said, had Ilfa been the one who had gone to the base Medrash back with Rabbi Yochanan, he would have been the one that would have been the Rosh Yeshiva. Because in fact, he had more talent, so to speak, than Rabbi Yochanan. As Rashi explains, to Ilfa Havi Gamir Tfei Rabbi Yochanan. Ilfa was even a bigger Tamachacham than Rabbi Yochanan. Wow. So that's the uh, other Goranowitz Mitzvah moment. Don't ever sell yourself short. You could become a great Gadol. Fine. <clears throat> so Ilfa returns, and he sees, right, that Rabbi Yochanan became the Rosh Yeshiva. Now, Ilfa himself had been uh, some sort of uh, right colleague of Rabbi Yochanan, and he felt, well, I'm a Tabachacham too. He was feeling like a, a crisis of confidence here, a challenge. He said, you know, my scholarship is still at a very high level. So he balanced himself on the mast of his ship, which some of the Mepharshim uh, sort of correlate that, the Maharsha correlates that to the fact that the ship was, you know, the vehicle by which he went on his business trip, etc. So Amar, he said like this, Is there anyone who, ch- he challenges them, right? Rebchia and Reboshia were the authors of some of the right most exquisite brises, right? And so they had great notes, and they had the brises, and he says, challenge me anything that you could find in the brise of Rebchia and Reboshia, and I will be able to give you a Mishnaic source. Right? In other words, we have the Mishnah, which was <coughs> sort of the Bryces that made it to the big time, right? The Bryces that made it into the Mishnah, right? And the Bryces, as we always quote, we try to correlate them to the Mishnah, but the Mishnah is the authoritative one. So you'd like to think that anything, that any information you can get from a Brysa, you should be able to find in the Mishnah, but that's not easy to do. There's so much material. But it's a very rare skill indeed. Only a great Talmud Chacham could actually take Lessons that you and and different themes um, and dinim from the from the brisos and trace every one of them back to Mishnah. That's almost impossible. However, that's something that Ilfa said he could do. He said, "If you if I am not able to trace every brisa back to Mishnah, I'll allow myself to fall from the mast of this ship and drown." Wow. 
Quite a trick. So also who Tanalei. So an older gentleman in from the base medish comes and he quotes the following brisa. What's the brisa? As follows: Person says, "Give. Uh, I want to start giving my kids an allowance. So give my sons one shekel a week to meet their expenses." However, the shekel amount that was specified is not enough for their weekly expenses. Really, they need a larger amount. They need a sella. What would be the case if a, if a let's say a um, parent gives that sova and then passes away, and now you have an executor and you have to decide how much are we going to give? He said to give a shekel once a week, uh, allowance, but they need a sella. So you would think, well, just fulfill what the father said. He said shekel. The answer is no. The halacha is no sin lehem sela. You give them a full sela. Why do you give them a sela? Well, because that may have been what he intended. It all has to do, what we're going to learn, has to do with the intention. Where this is not, right, uh, stuff. This is kind of what we're going to get to, um, right, more of the issues of, of how to handle, um, different savas, um, but when you're talking about how to handle it, the fundamental idea that we want to bring out of here, Max, is that it depends on the intention of the person giving the tzavah. So if he had said it very explicitly, I specifically want him to have a shekel and no more, as we'll see, so then you only give them a shekel allowance. But if it sounds like he said an amount just to estimate as an estimation of what he thought they would need, so then you give primacy to what their needs are, not to what... Uh, amount of money he specified. That's the point over here. So he says like this. No sella. The halacha is in that case you give them the higher amount. You give them the sella. Ah, says the Gemara shekel. But if you said it in a lashon of don't give them more than a shekel, so now he's actually emphasizing the amount, not the fact that they should be having an allowance for their needs. And in that case, the halacha is no ella shekel. You're only going to give them the shekel. Okay. Now. However, if the case was that he said, give them for their needs, um, a, a shekel um, a week for their needs, and if they die, there are Yorshim after them. And he specifies who the Yorshim after them should be. So in that case, you're only going to give a shekel. In other words, like this. If you specify it has to be a shekel, you give a shekel. If you say give them, you know, money for their needs, give them a couple of bucks for their needs. So then you don't give them just a couple of bucks. You give them how much they have for their needs. But if you say give them a couple of bucks for their needs a week, and by the way, there are creditors after them, right? There are inheritors after them. So then any amount of money that you're going to give above the couple of bucks to the children is actually money that you're going to be taking away from those who inherit after them. Now, again, they're natural inheritors. That, that's the way of the world, right? That the next generation, their Yorshim, they just inherit whatever the, the parents don't use up. But if you specify, right, a specific set of Yorshim or a specific set of inheritors beyond these people, so then that means that anything that you give extra above the specified amount to these children, you're actually taking away from these Yorshim. So that's not, that's not appropriate. And therefore, that limits what you can give the children. So when he said a couple of bucks, you have to take that more literally in that context, even though he didn't say, don't give more than two bucks. 
by the fact that he said, give them a couple of bucks, and by the way, whatever they don't use, you give to the next, to the, to whatever, uh, you give to the, I would like you to give it to the singers afterwards, so now you can't give more than a couple of bucks, you don't have that authority, because you would be taking away from whatever would be left over for the singers. That's the brysa, okay? The question is, where does that appear in the Mishnah? That was what the old man said. And Ilfa replied, Amarlei, Hamani Rabbi Meir, he, the Amar Mitzvah Lakaim Divremes. Wow. He traced all of this back to the simple statement of Rabbi Meir in the Mishnahic statement, obviously. Right? Sta Mishnah Rabbi Meir. We see this in the Mishnah in Ksubos. And it says that there's a mitzvah, Lakaim Divremes. And this is all included in that, right? All embedded in that Mishnah. When a mace is giving his commandment, you have to fulfill what he meant. Um, dig a little deeper, and basically it's what we were saying before, that you have to be Mekayim, his intention. That's the point. Okay. <clears throat> Very good. Fine. So that is Ilfa and Rabbi Yochanan. We should all be able to fulfill our potential. May we all fulfill our potential in learning in Ruchnius, Torah, and Mitzvahs. Amen. Uh, who wants to hear stories about Nachamish Gamzu? Max, you're into it? Oh, Max raises his hand. Fine. He was Rabbi Akiva's Rabbi. Okay, here's the story. Uh, well, we're picking up here at a very late stage in his life, as you will see. At this point, where we're picking up the story of Nacham Ishkamzu, at this point he was blinded in both eyes. Didn't have hands. Had no legs. So no arms, no legs, no eyes, a body filled with uh, boils. And there he is in a bed, and he is, uh, the bed is in a, in a dilapidated house. Legs of the bed are in uh, pails of water so that ants don't crawl up to uh, eat him up while he's suffering with boils, no arms, no legs, and blind. Wow, okay. <clears throat> Just to give you an idea. So, Meanwhile, he still has Talmidim, but they see their Rebbe in this horrible state. So they want to move him from this house into a better location. Okay, so Bikshu Talmidim Lefano Smitsaso. One time he's in this house, and his Talmidim want to move him to a better location. And then afterwards to move his stuff. So Amr Lahem, he says to them, no, no, no. Bad idea. Move the stuff first. First move my stuff and then my bed. Why did he know? Why do you do that? Because again, we see this is one of the biggest ways that you know that a guy has schuyos because there were all these dilapidated houses, but they wouldn't fall on the people who had the schus. He says, So long as I'm in the house, the house won't fall. So first take out my stuff because otherwise if you take me out first and it's all going to fall and then I'll have no more stuff. So they listened. First they cleared out the stuff. And then his bed. As soon as they cleared out of his bed, sure enough, his house collapsed. So obviously, this is a litmus test, right? There's no question you're Tzadik Gomor because the whole house was standing on your merit. So the question is, if you're Tzadik Gomor, why are you suffering so? Right? How did you arrive at this state of physical affliction? So I caused it for myself. Let me tell you what happened. I was traveling. There was a time where I was living large. I'm traveling to my Shver's house 
I had three donkey loads full of stuff. I had one donkey loaded down with food. I had so much food and so much mishta, right, drink, and so many delicacies, I needed a full donkey just to carry each one of those things. I was really loaded down with goodies. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and Ani comes on the road, and Amarli, Rebbe Amarli, Rebbe Parnasani, he needs something to eat. He said, wait, I'm going to unload the food from the donkeys, and I'll certainly give you some. I was not sensitive enough to the urgency of the situation. By the time I unloaded my donkey in a leisurely fashion, the old poor man had passed away. Oh, Nachum uh, Ishgamzu could not handle this. I fell on his deceased face. He was consumed with guilt. He said, my, the eyes who were not, did not have enough pity on you should become blind. My hands, which didn't take pity on your hands, should be cut off. And my legs, which no, took no pity on yours, should be cut off. And sure enough, and still, it would not be enough. I still didn't feel my guilt assuaged. I said my whole body should be covered with boils. Um, well, we don't know exactly how this took place, but somehow, right, he, it's not like he cut off his own hands and legs. I don't think he'd be allowed to do that, Andrew. But somehow, <clears throat> this did in fact happen, right? Like afterwards, some medical condition or something took place. And sure enough, all of this came to pass. His eyes, right, were dimmed. His hands and legs were cut off and his f- body. Sure enough, all of this was Makuyam, right? All of this came to fruition. Wow. So Amrullo, so his Talmudim said, this is, that's terrible. Right, you tell that story, and the Talmudim said, are you kidding? That's terrible. We can't even handle seeing you like this. No, the only thing worse would be if what? If that hadn't happened, and might still be living with the guilt, and also the anxiety of thinking that this is what's going to come back to me in Olam Haba. Better I suffer all of this, and my guilt be assuaged in Olam Hazeh, then suffer the guilt on Ulam Abba. I mean, that's a real madrega, right? Wow. In other words, oilim lori suni vikach, right? If you had not, if I, the only thing worse than me being in the state of no arms, no legs, no eyes, and boils would be not, would be to be healthy and carrying the guilt. Oh my goodness. Now, having heard the, one of the latest stories towards the end of his life, let's go back to the beginning. How did he, um, Get this name, Nachamish Gamzu. The whole mil sadava salkalayamar Gamzulatova. Famously, anything that happened to him, he would say Gamzulatova. For example, Zimna Khada, one time, uh, well, this is a good example. The Jews wanted to give, right, a gift to the Caesar. Dafyomi coincidence. The, the to the Greeks. Always always uh a politics with Greeks and appeasing the Greeks. So Amru Man Yezil. Who should we send, right? You want to find favor in their eyes. So, let's send Nachamish Gamzu. Why? He's like our good luck omen, right? Everything good usually happens to him, right? The Milumad Benison, who? He usually is, everything miraculous happens with him, and therefore he'd be a good person to send. Because you never know what's going to happen with the Caesar. It's always a story. Anyway, so he said, Nachamish Gamzu, and not taking any chances, right? You send them loaded with 
all kinds of jewels. Azul, he goes. And Basbahu Dira, he stays there at Motel 6. And on the way, there are ruffians there. But Leila, come on, right? These, um, the owners of this, the people that were around hanging around that motel were unscrupulous, to say the least. They empty out, they see the gems, they empty the whole thing out. Umalunu Afra, and fill it with earth. Unbelievable, right? They see he's walking in, he didn't uh, protect his valuables too well, and they filled all those jewels with earth. So then he says, fine. So that's what happened. Let's skip the parentheses. So now Nachemish Gamzu is supposed to be presenting this gift to the Caesar, and unbeknownst to him, right, like the brothers, uh, like Yosef's brothers with the sacks, not knowing that the cup was in one of them, unbeknownst to him, right, he's walking around, not feeling coincidence, Max, uh, he's walking around, and he, almost, and he is about to present the gift, imagine his surprise, when they open up, he thinks it's f- filled with jewels, however, Shridu Lesifta, they untie the chest, Chazanu Demalo Afra, and sure enough, it's filled with earth. Now, most people, right, <clears throat> at this point, would panic. Menachemish Gamzu chills with everything. So, right? Obviously, the king, seeing that they gave him a chest filled with earth, he wants to kill everyone. So, he says, What are you Jews? You think I'm funny? Do I amuse you? Are you mocking me? So, Amar Gamzu Latova. But he's just chilling with it. Menachemish Gamzu says, This is also Latova. Also, Eliyahu. So, Eliyahu Navi comes, right? He appears like one of the Caesar's officials. And Amalei, and Eliyahu Navi, as a Caesar's official, disguised as a Caesar's official, says to the Caesar the following. How do you know this is magic dust, man? How do you know that it's not the dust that Avram Avinu used to, what? Kill the four kings. Right? When he threw that dirt, it turned into swords. And Gilei, and when he threw straw, havugire, it turned into arrows. Right? Right? It says in Isaiah, in Isaiah that when he threw the dirt, it turned into swords. And when he threw the straw, it turned into, right, <coughs> arrows. Oh. Well, how do you figure it out? Well, you have to find it. It has to be battle tested. So sure enough, they had enough battles. So they just waited until the next battle, so probably like the next day. There was, in fact, one, uh, one uh, right, Medina, one city that they had not yet conquered. You know, in those days, the Greeks and Romans, when they were conquering, they had pretty much the whole world. Um, Caesar, right, Alexander the Great, at the age of 33, had the entire civilized world, all the way from England over to past Pakistan. Okay, so they figured, let's go f- try out this dirt and war and conquer the city. They tried it. Sure enough, they're throwing the dirt. Turns into swords. Amazing dirt. After the victory, they go into the emperor's treasure vault. They send Nachamish Gamzu back with even more precious stones than he had been sent with. And they send him back home with a parade. Right? So here this guy had all his precious stones taken away, turned into dirt. He says, Gamzu Latova, and he gets sent back with a parade. Now imagine the surprise of the people in the Motel 6 when they see the guy that they think he's never going to come back, they're going to kill him. We filled his chest with dirt and they see him being sent back with a parade filled with jewels. Oh boy. So what Amrulay, they say, what went on? That they're treating you with this parade. So Amrulay said, listen, he says, I brought whatever was in here, whatever you guys put in there, 
That's what I brought. And this was what happened. So Sasuladi, right, when they heard it, they're like, ah, this is our chance to also get riches. They demolished their homes, brought it to the royal palace in Amrulay, and they said to the Caesar, he said, you know that guy who brought the dirt? Well, this is more where that came from. So they said, thank you, let's try it. They, they, they tried to see, you know, besiege another city. They threw the dirt, and all it was was dirt. So what they do? So not only did Nachamish Gamzu get all the jewels in the parade, but the people who tried to mess him up ended up demolishing their homes and getting killed. Nachamish Gamzu. It's good to have a good attitude, Max. Okay. <coughs> Fine. So now back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah discussed, Ezu Dever, Ragali, right? That in order to be considered pestilence, you need to have. 500, with every, for every 500 right, able-bodied uh, citizens, you need to have three dying, but it has to be in consecutive days. So what if you have 500 men right, on foot? Let's take Akko as an example. And let's say nine people die, three, days, three consecutive days. Well, that certainly would be pestilence, right? Because that's more than one person per day. And that's even worse, okay? What about if all the people, nine people, biyom echad, obedalad yamim, or it takes four days for them to die, or three days, or, right, ain't that dever. That's not dever because, again, it has to be day after day. So, so if you have one day and even more people die, so, for example, if one person dies per day, that's three people over a course of three days, right? If one person dies per day for three days, it's like a math problem. What if 10 people die in one day and then no people die the next two days? Well, that's a higher death toll, right? That's 10 people instead of three. But that could just be a bad day, right? If something was in the air that day. That's not Dever. That's not pestilence. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so Amiko. So let's take a place that has 500 men, like Amiko. So Dever. That's classic Dever. As we... Turn to Chafal Fambez at the hopeless time of 611 a.m. So, if it happens in one day or over four days, then it's not Dever. Same thing. Okay. So, now let's see. What about we did have, in fact, the case of a city where three men died in a single day and they did, in fact, declare a fast. Drokrachs. It was a city with 500 men. They had three people die in one day. Tainisa, of Nachman, the son of Chista, did in fact declare a fast. I'm Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Nachman Bar Yitzchak, our famous valedictorian from Masechus Pesachim, I said, Keman, who is this according to? Kerb Meir. It's according to Meir, because Meir held, Rechek Negichos of Chayev, Kirv Negichos of Lokol Shekein. Ah, the famous Machlokas, by Ashur Muad, right? Ashur Muad is, is assured that gores day after day, right? Same thing, right? Every day for three days. And there's a Machlokas. By, right, we're, soon we're going to get to Nazikin. This is Machlokas. What if the same shore is, does three gorings in one day? So you can say, maybe he just he ate something weird that day. That's one sheet. Rabbi Mayer, however, holds that no. As soon as he gores three times, it has to be within three days. But if, even if he gored three times in one day, he would be, right, he would be considered a shormuad. This, believe it or not, plays its way into the what? The question of the Eitzaf by Mashivarochamer in Agashen. Right, I think it's a suggestion of the Maharil. He says, say it 90 times. So therefore, when you have a suffake, right, you will no longer be, have a suffake because you said it 90 times, right? And therefore, 
it, you will have already become accustomed to it. So those, the, believe it or not, that is challenged because, but with, by this machlokas. Are you considered a shormuad, so to speak, right, if you said it 90 times in one day? Maybe the whole reason, 30 times. Uh, well, no, 90 times because it's three times a day for 30 days. That's the point. Because the halacha is that after 30 days, after a month, right, you're already assumed to have been habituated. Well, is it after a month of saying three times a day for, for, right, for 30 days? Or is it after 90 times, right? That's totally with this machlokas by Shor Muad. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Um, uh, so once we mentioned these two mandamas, Rav Nachman Bar Rav Chista and Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, they're both Rav Nachman, but one was the son of Yitzchak, Rav Yitzchak, and one was the son of Rav Chista, the famous Chista. So there was a case where Rav Nachman, the son of Rabbi Chista, said, "Come, come live with us. Come live in our community." So Amalei to Nina, he says, "No, I learned from a brisa, Rabbi Yosei What an incredible Geronimo moment! A person is not uh, going to get honored just because he lives in Baltimore, but Baltimore is honored because that person lives there, right? You create your own great place." Right? When the Shekhinah was there, right? So then nothing could approach the mountain. But that was because of the Shekhinah, not because of the mountain. Right? Once the Shekhinah is gone, anybody could go up onto the mountain. Right? So meaning it was the presence of the Shekhinah and not the place. The place does not, of course, Eretz Yisrael has its own special uh, thing. But once you're talking about a community, so it's the great people in the community that make the community. When the old was pitched, so to speak, was in place, so then you have to send out any of the people with saras. However, right, when you rolled up the tent, so to speak, so then, it's not like they had to walk around where the old had been in their masas in the midbar, they could walk right through. It was only the presence of that Shechina that made it holy. So Amar Lei, so Nachman B'Yitzchak says, Iyachi neikam on a Mar. He said, fine. You know what? You're a great man. I'll go sit and live with you. So Amar Lei, mutav yavo mane ben pras, it's a mane ben mane. Ve'al yavo mane ben mane, it's a mane ben pras. He says, yeah, but you know what? Your father was of Chista, and therefore you're a, a pious man, the son of a very pious man. And I am just Yitzchak's son, and therefore I, better that I live with you than you live with me. That is a better legacy. So tomorrow... Uh, I guess I'm giving you some catch-up. We're in the middle of Chafalafam and Beis about stories about the plagues in Surah and other um, assorted stories. We have in the rest of this third parak of Tainus a story time that you can enjoy throughout Hanukkah to tell your kids.